welcome. This is a Ukraine World podcast. Ukraine World is an initiative aimed at explaining or communicating Ukrainian developments to the international audience. Today we are talking about information security, communication security, cyber security. And I'm very glad to have here Dmitry Teperik from Estonia, who is the chief executive of International Center for Defense and Security in Tallinn and program director of Resilient Ukraine, which is an Estonian program aimed at helping Ukraine to be resilient. Uh, good afternoon, Dmitry. Good afternoon. Uh, my first question would be uh, why Estonia is so interested in, in helping Ukraine, in uh, acting in Ukraine? Well, I would begin from uh, early 90s when uh, Estonia restored uh, its independence and then uh, back time more than 20 years ago we felt uh, supported by our neighbors, well, not all of them, of course, but mostly by uh, Scandinavian countries, uh, Nordic countries, uh, Germany, Great Britain, and so on and so forth. So we really do understand the importance of international support to uh, countries and to, let's say, a new vector, new political vector. And uh, I think that's uh, our duty. Uh, if you wish, uh, to support uh, Ukraine's reforms and uh, to support uh, developments here. So because your your, we, your yeah. program is called Resilient Ukraine, and obviously we're thinking in terms of defense. So th this is the first metaphor that comes into, into, into my mind with this word. But you're working mostly in the information area, right? Uh, so do you think, it is, is, it, is it correct to describe what is happening in the information field as information warfare? Uh, what do you think? Well, I would say that it's uh, partially correct, but uh, of course, information sphere, uh, communication as such, uh, is an essential part of, of national security. And uh, that we realized several years ago, uh, not just in Estonia, but uh, in other countries in the Baltic states and also uh, in Ukraine, that uh, Every communication between different organizations, communication between different groups of society within the society uh, might become a target of uh, hostile information operations. Well, basically, this is the way how uh, our adversary can and is able to influence uh, and shape uh, public opinion, for instance. Uh, this is uh, the uh, well one of the tools uh, how adversary is uh, able to interfere into electoral processes, for instance. Uh, this is uh, also one of the tools how it could uh, it could manipulate with information regarding, let's say, the uh, defense forces, army, and and so on and so forth. So yeah, in essence, it is a part of national. Uh, defense and uh, but it's of course it's much broader it's not just uh, let's say about uh, yeah army and uh, about uh, about maneuvers uh, it's about uh, national security and how uh, how the state is uh, coping with that but when you when talking about adversary you may you meaning primarily russia i guess well in this case of course uh, the russian federation uh, is clearly an aggressor uh, who occupied different territories here in Ukraine, but not just in Ukraine, as, as we know, also uh, in Georgia, in, uh, in Moldova, and uh, the Russian Federation has 
avanturous campaigns uh, in uh, Syria and other uh, African countries. And, and it's also, also a permanent threat to, to Baltic countries, right? Yes, it is. It is. Uh, so we know it from uh, the history and, uh, well, our history uh, wasn't uh, so bright uh, and easy. And uh, But, yeah, long uh, co-neighboring with the Russian Federation, of course, uh, have taught us uh, tough lessons and uh, we never be kind of naive in regard uh, of uh, Russia's uh, or the Kremlin's geo geopolitical ambitions. And that's the major debate, I think, that we have from the Eastern Europe and Western Europe in terms of information. Because in Western Europe, people tend to say that, look, information is all about freedom. So you cannot really consider it as a weapon. You have basically ensured the free flow information. Whereas many of us in Ukraine, Estonia, Lithuania, Poland are saying that, look, uh, Russia is abusing, using and abusing this freedom to penetrate the countries to to form certain narratives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, what Russia succeeded, it's basically Russia Russia weaponized the information. Russia weaponized, for instance, the religion, the Russian Orthodox Church, as we know it. But we are talking about uh, information and communication. So it's totally now being uh, abused and being used for uh, achieving geopolitical goals, uh, not just in uh, countries like the Baltic States, Ukraine or, or Georgia, but actually also in the United States, uh, in France, uh, also a little bit yeah, in Italy and, and so on and so forth. When you compare Estonia and Ukraine, what similarities do you find and what difference do you find with regard to Russia, I would say, information influences? Well, uh, Ukraine, of course, is uh, a big country. And uh, I know it's kind of sensitive issue here, but nevertheless, we must admit that there are still are some differences between the regions in terms of, of course, perceptions, security perceptions, in terms of uh, information manipulations. Uh, the differences are quite huge between, let's say, uh, the West and uh, South East. East Ukraine. I am not telling that you know population of of this region are let's say better or worse, but security perceptions clearly differ. In southeast, people uh, are less tend to consider Russia as a threat. Yeah, absolutely. And let, let's say uh, they uh, they really don't uh, understand the essence of threat, even in terms of information. So they do, don't link uh, the malicious information with uh, uh, with Russia. For instance, uh, they actually see more threats in uh, kind of political manipulations regard, uh, regarding the elections, for instance. Uh, they don't see threats in terms of uh, religion, for instance. They don't uh, like actually uh, all, the, all the debate related to the uh, Thomas, or to the autocephaly of the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church, although even being uh, Ukrainian citizens being uh, mostly pro-Ukrainian, kind of patriotic uh, feeling. For instance, they, uh, they really don't see kind of uh, connection between, uh, let's say, the war, Russia and, and Russia's activities, uh, hybrid threats in terms of economy, for instance, and, and cyber attacks and but, so on and so but forth. But coming back to Estonia and Ukraine comparison, uh, do you think that Russia is implementing the same tactics or it's different and targeted according to a specific country? Well, uh, so Russia applies how we called it uh, holistic opportunistic approach, which means that uh, if Russia or the Kremlin uh, 
sees opportunities, then uh, it will use that. I mean, so basically something undone homework, some uh, societal vulnerabilities within uh, our countries. That is opportunistic approach. But at the same time, the approach is uh, quite holistic, that uh, Russia has kind of a grand strategy in order to weaken the European Union, for, for instance, uh, to weaken uh, NATO, to weaken links between different countries, let's say even between the Baltic states or between the Baltic states, Poland and Ukraine. And basically that is a geopolitical goal to weaken uh, the European idea as such. And of course, uh, by this approach, Russia applies also very similar uh, tools of influence. Uh, well, I already already mentioned the church, but this is not just uh, just the church. It also relates uh, to uh, Soviet nostalgia, for instance, which is quite common uh, in uh, the Baltic states, Ukraine, uh, you know, even more stronger, let's say, in, in Belarus, uh, Moldova, for instance, uh, or in Georgia. So, in that regard, there are there are similarities, of course. But in in terms of uh, in terms of uh, differences, of course, we are much smaller country, and we do remember well our history, especially that period uh, between uh, the two wars and what followed basically uh, basically the, the Soviet occupation. Uh, so we value very much our independence, and we know that uh, there won't be, let's say third chance for uh, a small nation to be uh, independent as we are. So therefore, and, and probably the language issue is also different. Absolutely. Different. absolutely. Well, well, of course, uh, so it's, it's much harder for Russia to uh, distribute disinformation uh, in Estonian as it does in uh, Russian language here in Ukraine. Your program is Resilient Ukraine. How you try to make Ukraine resilient? Well, for first step is, of course, uh, knowledge. And it's very much related to situation awareness. So basically, people, but not just general public, also uh, the expert community, uh, journalists, uh, psychologists, social, social psychologists, uh, political scientists, security experts, military servicemen, all of them should have a better situation awareness about not just present threats, but also about emerging threats. So basically trying uh, to uh, to predict on different uh, scenarios what could happen uh, in the future. Uh, and basically teaching these skills and uh, cultivating that kind of uh, culture, uh, in essence, uh, is making a nation more resilient. Well, I would compare resilience as immune system of a, a human being. So basically, uh, of course, you are not sick all, all the time. And thanks to immune system, uh, you might be, uh, again, resilient to some, uh, to some diseases. But in order to strengthen your immune system, uh, of course, uh, you take you know, some precautions. You, I don't know, take uh, vitamins or maybe a vaccination is needed. That uh, kind of comparison uh, is related to to the steps uh, we are trying to implement here within uh, our program in Ukraine. Your, your program has three components, as far as I understand, the cyber, information and communication security. And it's, it's very interesting, every, uh, every of these segments are very important. Can you specify what exactly you're trying to, to, to do? Right. Well, starting from uh, cyber security, it's basically 
addresses everything which relates uh, to software, hand hardware and uh, digital tools used uh, against cyber attacks or used for spreading malicious disinformation. Information security uh, is everything about uh, media channels, about information channels, also social media. It's about uh, media infrastructure and about uh, media community, basically journalists and uh, their knowledge and, and skills. And communication security, it's about senses, it's about meanings, uh, it's about stories, narratives, memes and symbols. So that's uh, in, a, in a nutshell how we approach uh, these three topical areas. So why we decided to put all them together uh, is uh, well, quite in interesting question, because uh, what we learned that, uh, for instance, the Russian Federation planning its, uh, let's say, cyber attacks and information campaigns. Well, even in their military doc doctrine, they approach it holistically. So, let's say, a cyber attack is uh, usually and most commonly perceived and followed by information campaign. So uh, they don't distinguish these three spheres, three areas uh, very much. So they approach it holistically as a one sphere. Holistically, you mean that they take uh, several components and put them together and understand them as different instruments of the same type. Exactly, exactly. And that was our weakness, I mean, uh, speaking generally in the West, that we have kind of stockpiles that basically, so here we have, let's say, whatever, cyber security and cyber defense, and we create whatever uh, cyber units to do that. And here we have whatever uh, Stratcom line, and they deal with uh, whatever uh, communication issues and, and journalists. And then cyber community, uh, meets uh, very rarely those Stratcom guys and uh, there's a very limited information flow information flow between them. And, and this is clearly a wrong approach, I mean, because uh, seeing what, uh, what Russia is doing, uh, of course we uh, have to uh, do that more in interdisciplinary way. So basically mixing the expert community together and trying uh, to to analyze the threats, uh, not just from one perspective, but at least from three different perspectives. I think and that speaking not just about Russia, actually the uh, uh, other attacks, especially in cyber war, uh, very much attributed, let's say, to China or Iran. And they are doing, doing pretty much the same, uh, not just uh, distinguishing the cyber component uh, from uh, information and communication. I think that's a major difference between the West uh, and the East, or Russia or Iran, that basically the West is more analytical, right? And uh, the Western countries, European countries, consider their agenda as a kind of a tracks, different tracks on which we proceed. Uh, and therefore, they say, look, you, aggression in Ukraine is one thing, aggression in Syria is another thing, aggression in Georgia is another thing, whereas Russians perceive it as a kind of uh, elements of the whole picture. One picture. Yes, you're right. Uh, well, of, of course, uh, many European uh, or Western experts, even larger community, well, they uh, felt to be kind of uh, comfort zone. And uh, some of them never believed or never thought that uh, Russia is uh, capable of doing that. And uh, 
by saying that, of course, we should not we should notice that uh, sometimes we uh, overthinking or actually maybe even overreacting on uh, on Russia's activities. I mean, of course, uh, there are clear evidence about uh, Russia's malicious information campaigns and uh, Russia's interference into different elections uh, globally. And we know the geopolitical goals, but uh, at the end, if you put all the numbers together, I think uh, the beast is not that big and strong. Well, even Russia has its limitations. I mean, money-wise, in terms of budgets, uh, in terms of um, human potential. And uh, I think now Russia really tries or does these things uh, on its limits. So, uh, well, of course, theoretically, they could be able to, to mobilize more resources for that. But practically, I think uh, they won't do that. So yeah, I, I think yeah, they're very much on the, on the limits. And uh, I think we just shouldn't overestimate Russia's abilities uh, and rather focus on uh, our weaknesses within our societies, because that's they're using very much. In Ukraine, there is a popular discourse that Russia is everywhere and can do anything. <laughs> and uh, I agree, totally agree with you that probably we overestimate uh, this uh, kind of a thinking of Russia as a kind of a very supernatural power, able to do anything. But let's talk about specific issues. For example, communication security, you, you're talking about senses, etc. What senses Russia tries to promote in Eastern Europe, in your, in your opinion? What, what are the major top three uh, narratives? Well, of course, then uh, we can, we can say, speak, let's say, about um, so-called uh, traditional values, about something uh, stable that, that Russia itself is trying to protect what uh, Europe has neglected. That's, that's, that's one of them. Uh, another, of course, is that uh, Russia is uh, also kind of uh, part of Europe, that, that you shouldn't uh, basically... Marginalize it. Yeah, so that, that Russia has kind of power and has a full right to say something about European developments and so, so don't uh, don't push Russia away from uh, from uh, from European issues and from European uh, from European debate. And this kind of uh, this kind of narrative uh, might be quite popular among uh, different groups, let's say in uh, Germany or Austria or even France and the Netherlands. And it's uh, very difficult to to combat because it's based on different, uh, of course, his, uh, historical relations but also very much based on uh, the current uh, relations in the business. And, uh, well, money still uh, rules the world, at least for uh, some people. So therefore, financial, financial motivations, financial uh, yeah, grants provided uh, by the Russian government in some ways, it's still kind of too uh, to promote that uh, that narrative I was uh, uh, talking about. Talking about cyber, do you have an impression that Ukraine is not prepared for cyber attacks? It is not uh, protected. And if yes, what 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 do you trying to? How do you trying to help? 
Yeah, well, the situation in Ukraine uh, is different at uh, various levels. So at the level of the central government and in kind of, you know, bubble of Kyiv, uh, everything looks, uh, if not uh, perfect, well, it never can be something perfect, but at least it uh, it looks quite satisfactory. So more, more or less uh, there is understanding uh, about uh, the threats and there is kind of whatever action plan, what should be done uh, at the level of central government here uh, in Kiev and who is basically responsible for what, uh, which yeah, organizations, uh, services being whatever, uh, SBU or Gospetsvets uh, or some, some other. But uh, if you look at the human capital, especially at regional and local level, so then uh, what you can see, it's uh, either total absence of uh, specialists and experts who could even uh, understand the cyber threats there or kind of lack of, of professionalism of those uh, yeah, officials who are nominally doing that job but they are totally unprepared not uh, just because they are let's say bad people they are not bad people but the thing is that uh, they're not skilled so basically they, uh, they level of professional development uh, is totally inadequate since the area of uh, digital world is uh, moving so so fast. Where is the biggest problem? I mean, is it the local authorities? Is it some important enterprises, like strategic enterprises, I don't know, the energy plants, whatever? Where do you see the biggest, uh, the biggest vacuum of, of security? Yeah, it's uh, uh, city administrations, uh, yeah, regional administrations, so local authorities. Basically, that's that's uh, that's the area which should be addressed at the first place. Because uh, well, private enterprises, uh, private sector, is anyway more compatible in that regard, providing let's say a better uh, yeah, salaries and providing uh, more competent training for uh, its um, staff. But uh, but local authorities yeah, clearly something we should address. And how do you see we could address it? By training people? By just, you know, issuing some very short uh, manuals? Yeah. Well, of doing? course we can. And Well, so first of all, we need to create, uh, again, situation of understanding that uh, there is a need. There is, uh, well, there is a kind of, you know, threat assessment that uh, those uh, experts, those specialists could realize that the skills they are going to learn are actually necessary. Well, otherwise you won't able to create any, any motivation. I mean, of course you can pay them that they could learn something, but I mean, financial motivation is not sustainable. So they should understand by heart and by mind that uh, there are certain uh, list of threats, even, uh, let's say, plausible threats or kind of uh, theoretical or possible threats, but, but nevertheless. And the skills they are going uh, to learn and apply at every job are needed in order to to confront the threats. Otherwise, if they have no idea about the threats and they have kind of no motivation to to confront them, uh, yeah, that's uh, that would be quite uh, challenging. You're exercise. working precisely in southern and eastern Ukraine. Do you see the growing of the understanding of, of the threats? Well, it's 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 early to say, but uh, at least they uh, in some communities uh, uh, it is understanding that. Uh, 
we need to do something. Well, it's it's not good, but it's not bad either. So basically, uh, let's say in in Mariupol, for instance, uh, there is quite uh, solid understanding at the city level that uh, cyber and communication and, and and information is important. Well. It might be affected, of course, by the by the proximity of the front line. It might be affected by uh, actually the situation when uh, civil authorities uh, meet regularly, let's say, people from from defense sector and from security sector, and that's good. And also, kind of side effect of our program is that we bring uh, many experts from different areas and really apply this interdisciplinary approach. So, at our meetings. Uh, different people from different areas, uh, I mean, topical areas, they uh, meet and then they understand, wow, that's uh, uh, actually working. Why uh, why we uh, couldn't do it uh, ourselves? I mean, why we should, uh, let's say, come to these meetings uh, analyzing security threats only when, let's say, Estonians invite us? I mean, that kind of, and I mean, we are just kind of showing good examples, and then uh, it's up to them, of course, uh, to to continue that. And the third the third issue is information, uh, and it's it's very interesting because I mean, when you talk about the regions, you go to these regions. I have an impression that uh, at a certain point, local media uh, lost the battle to national media, and then national media lost the battle to uh, bloggers and even politicians who are now speaking. Uh, by speaking to the people, bypassing the media. So how we are ent- we have entered a period of of the crisis of journalism. How to deal with that? Yeah, absolutely. So now we are living in kind of you know post media era. So that uh, media is uh, normally and commonly distrusted by by public, uh, and uh, we see many manipulations on uh, let's say TV channels here in Ukraine on like on the national TV channels and local media of course is very much dependent on uh, whatever owner or whatever uh, let's say local small businessman or local authority uh, is and uh, but actually so the key issue is uh, that uh, that local media should be uh, independent and local media is the only uh, viable source of positive news because if you look at the uh, agenda uh, of uh, of the national channels here so well it's mostly about something something negative and of course i do understand that psychologically uh, we tend to uh, consume more negative information and negative information spreads uh, more more quickly but uh, there is a clearly a vacuum of uh, really good positive news which are created locally but and this that, that is something which, uh, uh, which, uh, what local media could do because, uh, I mean, you you don't care about let's say very good news uh, from Ecuador or I don't know from e- even from Estonia, but you, uh, what would you be interested interested in let's say reading or watching something really positive uh, at your at your community or at, during your neighbors or whatever. But the major criteria for news is that they're true true and not false yeah but and, uh, uh, not positive or negative yeah, yeah that's good but I mean uh, well the thing is that it's now it's very much in imbalance I mean 
many positive things are still happening, happening uh, mm. not just uh, on the national level, but also on regional and local level. But that, of course, that's, that's one of the hypotheses about the uh, so high deception that is in Ukraine and that led to the results of the election is that basically the, the, the media are transferring mainly negative uh, news, whereas, for example, the corruption is still there, etc. But on the local level, if you ask per, uh, specific people, uh, are they facing corruption, for example, they're saying that, well, in this field things uh, are getting better, in this field things yeah. are getting better. Uh, maybe to the last question, what do you think can be... Uh, what are the ways to improve the situation for Ukraine in these three fields? What what would be your insight and recommendations? Well, my recommendation would be, of course, to support strongly the process of decentralization. And yeah, surprise. That's what, what's going on. Actually. Yeah, I know, but uh, I would strongly advise all stakeholders and uh, all interested experts to support that because uh, you are not able to create, uh, let's say, national resilience or to strengthen national resilience from top-down approach. So national resilience is always about uh, regions. National resilience is always something which uh, has its source from the regions, from, uh, from, from local communities. Uh, and decentralization provides a good opportunity to introduce feeling of responsibility to the people there. And if you feel responsible for your own safety and security in terms of con information consumption, in terms of uh, cyber, I mean, very much easy things re related to cyber hygiene, for instance. I mean, so you, you cannot int uh, like introduce it from top, top down. It should come from, from bottom up. So therefore, I mean, in order to succeed in such areas like uh, cyber security, information security and communication security, decentralization is in an essential part. Otherwise, uh, yeah, that's again will be very, very ch challenging, and I think even not not productive. Thank you very much, uh, Dmitri. We had uh, Dmitri uh, Teperik, who is the chief executive of the International Center for Defense and Security in Tallinn, Estonia, and who is working here in Ukraine on the program. Resilient Ukraine, a program aiming at uh, strengthening Ukraine's resilience in cyber information and communication security areas. This is Ukraine World Podcast. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. Thank you for listening and stay with us. Mm -hmm.